From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Dander, and today have I got a guest for you. This young lady is the author of the book for Encanto, the movie, and she is a children's picture book author. She's also an author coach, and she's a literary agent who helps other people get published. So I'm really excited today to welcome Vicky Weber to the show. Hey, Vicky, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. That was after about 10 takes. I'm going to cut all of the bad ones out now. So only you and I know how badly I messed up your intro. So Vicky, I'd love to know a little bit about your background and how did you get into becoming an author? So I was a elementary school teacher and I loved what I did, but always wanted to be an author. But I thought it was something that would just be a pipe dream that I would look back on and be like, oh, I wish I'd done that. Or, you know, how people always say, oh, I'm going to be an NFL player. And how many people actually end up doing that? But what I didn't realize that was that being published is a lot more achievable than most people realize. And that it had more to do with my determination to learn and to put the work in rather than knowing the right people or having some magical writing talent uh, given at birth or something like that. It's a lot more achievable than most people think. You just have to know where to look. You have to understand how the industry works uh, because there are a lot of publishing scams out there. And yeah, I just dove in. My husband was a great help in that. I learned the industry. I put the work in. And I was published in December of 2019. And then I went on to publish four books that year in the middle of the pandemic. And as I was teaching during the pandemic, I was teaching virtually. I was high risk. I was also pregnant with my daughter. And so I ended up not returning from my maternity leave. I had been published. I was doing well. I liked what I did, but it was a side gig. But Then I realized the only thing holding me back from turning this in full-fledged career was time. And just by taking that plunge, I've been able to spend a lot more time with my daughter. I've been able to spend a lot more time with my husband. A couple months after I left teaching, I was able to bring my husband home full-time because things took off so successfully. So it is possible. And I think that's the main message that people need to hear is that if it's something that you want and you've got the drive, it's 100% within your wheelhouse. Was there a time or a moment in your life when you felt like authoring was a talent that you had? Did you realize that at a younger age or did it come quite late on? I don't know. I've always loved reading. Always. I was such a bookworm. I like to joke about this on podcasts, but I was grounded from books a lot when I was a kid. I would be doing something. My mom would say, load the dishwasher. I'd be reading a book instead. She'd ask me to do something. I'd be reading a book instead. 
So granted, I, I deserve it, but people always laugh at that. They're like, your mom grounded you from books? Yes, she did. I was that big of a bookworm. But when I went into the classroom, I realized that not every kid loved reading as much as I did, not even close. And that kind of hurt because the only reason some of these kids didn't love reading was because they either couldn't find books that interested them or it was too hard for them. When something's challenging, it's harder to find a way in it. And really, those were the two main reasons. And I started making up stories based on the interest that I saw in my classroom. And kids absolutely loved it and responded really well. And they liked seeing different characters with different motivations. And they loved getting to be creative and getting to interact with the stories. So I've always been a good writer. I've always liked writing and reading growing up. But that was really, I think, when things started to fall into place for me. The puzzle pieces started coming together was right there in my own classroom. And in terms of your steps that you made towards becoming an author, like what did you do? Did you just literally sit down one day and start writing things that came to your head? Just talk me through that process. First, I started with a running Google Doc of all my ideas, because if I don't write down the idea, I might lose it. So even though I didn't write the stories yet, I wrote down, here's all my ideas that I can think of off the top of my head. And while I was researching, anytime some popped into my head, I'd throw them in the document. Even if they never got written, they're just, the ideas are down there and they're one nice, easy place for me to find. Then I started researching. The two main things that I learned and that I always tell people at every opportunity is that traditional publishing is 100% free to the author. So a traditional, if somebody's claiming to be a traditional publisher and they charge you any money for any reason, they're not a traditional publisher. The thing, though, is they're hard to break into. You typically need a literary agent to represent you. The process is very slow. It can, even when you have an agent, publication can take years. So you're not footing the bill, but you are working on somebody else's timeline because they have other books being produced. Self-publishing, on the other hand, is 100% on your schedule because when you self-publish, you are the publisher. But that also means you have all the expenses and all the responsibilities that come along with being a publisher. And so if you don't have following or if you don't have networking connections and things like that, you're going to have to get them if you want that self-published book to be successful. So those were two takeaways was, okay, do I want to be traditionally published or do I want to self-publish? And my first books that I was writing were all interactive musical books. And what I found was other interactive musical books didn't exist. So I invented like a subgenre, but because of that, agents and traditional publishers didn't want my books because they were a risk and they're a business. They want to know that they can make money and they didn't know that they could do that off of me. There was no evidence to support that I was worth the risk. And so a lot of them asked me, we would love your book if you take the interactive part out or if you take this part out. And I didn't want to do it. So I decided to self-publish my musical books. I became a best-selling author within nine months of self-publishing. Not going to lie, it was a lot of work. It was expensive, but it was 
worth every single moment. And then shortly after that, Disney reached out to me and they asked me to pen the book version of Disney's Encanto. So they basically gave me the movie script and a bunch of resources and they said, please turn this into a book for us. And so at that point, I had a ton of books under my belt. I was working (laughs) on a book for Disney and I decided that I had some story ideas that I felt were really right for traditional publishing and that I could tell more stories and reach more people if I was pursuing both avenues at the same time. So books that I felt were more mass market or didn't need very many changes to be made to them, I started querying agents and I secured an agent. And so now I have been published both ways and continue to do. And then just a short while after that, I became a little agent myself. So not only do I have traditionally published books, and self-published books. But now when I see other people's stories that really resonate with me, I then go pitch them to publishers to help them get published too. Lots of stuff happened in a short amount of time between December of 2019 and now. Wow. All I can say is wow. And I love the way you just slid that in there. Oh, and then Disney got in touch and I just wrote the book for Encanto and then you moved on. Wow. That's so amazing to be asked to write such a magical story. If those of us that have seen the movie will know it's just a beautiful movie. And to be picked as the author to write the official Encanto book. How were you feeling at the time when that happened? I didn't think it was real. I thought it was like one of those scam emails that you get and like they try to scam you into money, like giving them money or something. I'm like, yeah, Disney's emailing me. Okay. But then I was like, okay, look into it. Let me see. So I looked up the editor's name. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, she is employed by Disney. Okay, let me do more digging. So I like spent a whole day just researching to see, is this person real? What is this? Because there were no details in the email outside of they wanted a book written. Because at that point, Encanto was not announced as a movie. It was still in production. And so they were not advertising it yet to the public at all. So I finally got on a call with her and... She explained the plot of Encanto to me. And if you've seen the movie, you know there's a ton of characters. Most of them have powers. They all have different personality traits. And they're all integral to the story in some way, even if it's smaller, but they're like pieces to a puzzle. Like You need them all. So she's telling me this story, and I have no visual in my head of who these characters are, which one's which, who's related to who. I like, And there's no song to help me. <laughs> so she's like telling me the story and I'm just like writing down notes feverishly, trying to keep track of who is who and what is what and when. And at the end, I was like, can you repeat all of that? But it did make a lot more sense with the movie script in hand. And the more I got to know the story, the more it fell into place. And I think that they did a beautiful job of taking a really complicated story and turning it into a movie that kids can understand and enjoy. But it was definitely a challenge turning it into such a small book with so many moving pieces. So I did all that while I was in my third trimester with my daughter. I wrote that for them in about a month and a half. Yeah, it was a pretty quick turnaround. And then then I just patiently waited. It was published about a month before the movie and I had to keep it secret for way longer than I would have liked. (laughs) Oh, wow. And 
Vicky, with the when you had the brief from Disney, what level of artistic license did you have to move away from the script itself? Were they very strict about what you could and couldn't do in terms of the story scope? So as far as the actual logistics there, they didn't expect me to stick to the movie script. It was more context for me because in such a small book, it was only 32 pages and there was a limited amount of word count on each page. They were more concerned with getting heart of the story across, which meant that a lot of characters didn't get as much kind of screen time <laughs> in the book version as they did in the movie. It was a lot more about Abuela and Mirabel. Certain events had to take place in order for the story arc to be complete. They just wanted me to stay true to the story arc and stay true to the message of the book so that people walked away from the book with the same feeling as they walked away from the movie. And so if people out there are wondering about the story arc and how do some of these movies or even stories get structured? Could you give us a bit of insight into that? What are some of the more famous structures that people use? Hi folks, sorry for the quick interruption, but before we continue with this awesome episode, I have a huge favour to ask. If you're enjoying these conversations and you're finding it's giving you value in your daily challenges, then I'd be extremely grateful if you could leave a short review and subscribe to whichever platform you're either watching or listening to this episode on. That's it. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, so generally speaking, every story, the longer the story, the more complicated it gets, but every story is like a roller coaster. So in a picture book, you start with your introduction. You're just kind of moving forward. You're chugging along. And then some type of incident happens. It could be a realization from the character. It could be like a tragedy happens. It could be anything that takes the character from here's my status quo life to all of a sudden things are thrown out of whack in one way or another. It could be psychological. It could be literal. But something starts the roller coaster going uphill. And so as we're going up the hill, we're feeling like the knot in our stomach. Every single moment is bringing us closer and closer to this peak. And so things are falling apart more or people are getting more frustrated or more devastated or whatever it might be, depending on the character in the book. And then you reach that peak and you just have that like pit in your stomach. That's the climax of the story. And that's where everything starts to come together and either fall apart or fall together, again, depending on what type of story you have. And then your falling action is that moment where you're literally falling. And sometimes that can be a negative thing for the character. Sometimes it's a positive thing. Suddenly things are going right and they've got this huge adrenaline rush. Things are going really great. Sometimes it's the exact opposite, but we get that like rush and then the story starts to resolve and settle, however that is. So any book that you pick up is going to have that roller coaster feel. You're going to feel the tension. You're going to feel the anxiety and the anticipation. And you're going to also feel when that tension releases. There's going to be parts where you're like, no, don't do that. That's a dumb idea. Or what are you doing? That's No, don't do that. That's your tension building. 
And then you're going to feel that release when things get resolved one way or another. And there's a lot of different ways that that can look. Like I said, not every book gets a happy ending. Some characters end up learning something about themselves. And sometimes it's that reality sucks. Other characters have a very happy ending and they've learned something about themselves and they're a better person going forward. Really, it depends on what story you're trying to tell, how your characters react and interact with other characters, uh, and what type of story, like what you want the story to portray. Do you want it to be uplifting? Do you want it to be bittersweet? Do you want it to be realistic to children or more realistic to adults? That's going to vary from story to story, but that feeling, that arc feeling should be the same. And I'm a big fan of creativity and it's an area that I find fascinating. I'd love to know what your creative process is. Like, where do you get your ideas from? And when you then decide to create a book, what are some of your approaches that you use? Honestly, the ideas come randomly, <laughs> which is why I like keeping the Google, Doc, the Google Docs app on my phone. Because sometimes it's the middle of the night. Sometimes I'm like out and about. I'm not always near my computer or near a pen and paper when an idea comes to me. And when it comes to writing them, I have to wait for the inspiration to spark. So I have this running a list of ideas. When I'm in the mood to write, I'll sit down and I'll look at all my ideas and which one's drawing me today? Which one do I have some ideas for today? And sometimes it works out to plan and other times I start with one story and then end up getting an idea for a different story and then that one takes shape. So I'm very much a go with the flow and write as much as you can person. Other people like to be a lot more organized. They'll outline each story or they will write out all the specific bullet points. So this character is going to do this and then this is going to be the conflict and then this is how it's going to resolve. And then they dive into the actual writing. For me, I don't always know what a conflict is going to be depending on what the idea is. One example is in the middle of the night, I woke up and was like, Tiger Tempo. I want to write a book called Tiger Tempo. My husband was like, go back to sleep. <laughs> and in that book, it's, it teaches tempo terms. So tempo is the speed words in music. Andante means walking speed. They're all Italian words and they can be tricky for kids to learn. So Tiger Tempo is about a tiger running a race. And so... On every page, you have to help the tiger win the race by clapping the correct beat. And everything that he's doing reflects that speed. So on a page where he's supposed to be moving on Dante walking speed, he's walking across a log. He's not going to run across it. He's not going to tiptoe across it. Like he's going to move at walking speed so he doesn't fall. And then for Presto, that means very fast. He's in an open field. He can just sprint. And so I came up with this idea and I knew what I wanted it to be, but then I had to figure out how to make it that way <laughs> and what art notes I had to put in so that everything was clear. And did I want it to rhyme? Did I want it to not rhyme? What order did I want things to go in? Because if he's a three, there still needs to be a story arc. So how am I having him start? How am I having him end? Do I actually have him win? And so all of those questions were there, but I didn't answer them in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, it was just Tiger Tempo book. Here's all the things that I think 
need to go in there. And then I wrote it at a later time. So everybody's a little bit different. I think that sometimes you have to know your strengths and know your weaknesses and know to push the envelope for yourself and when to not. I know that if I just sit down and force myself to write a book that's not, that I'm not motivated to, it's not going to turn out very well. I'm going to fight it. I'm not going to be excited about it. I'm not going to be passionate about it. But that's not the case for everybody. But there are some people, I have very good author friends who have to force themselves to sit down or they'll never, ever write. <laughs> so it's really about knowing yourself and what gets your creativity going. Yeah, because I sometimes work with teams that are building tech products, software products, and the amount of times people say, hey, let's all just get together and do some brainstorming and get creative and be really innovative. And it's almost like they expect people to have a switch that just switches on and then you get creative when actually we know in reality that's not the case. We often get our best ideas in the most unlikely situations. <laughs> and for me, it's having a shower. For others, it's, <laughs> I don't know, walking the dog or whatever they people like to do. And it's usually when you least expect these ideas. And for yourself, like middle of the night, that Tempo Tiger story you just told me, <laughs> I think that's brilliant. That's genius because my kids, they've been learning instruments and I've had to sit with them whilst they revise those terms that you just mentioned so that would have been awesome if they had that book but unfortunately they didn't so I think that's absolute genius is that a book you've actually now written yeah that one's been published since 2021 so that's a really fun one because the kids get to race along with the tiger so they clap their hands to the beat or some of them will actually stand up and run along with the tiger which I think is really funny but yeah that one's great for younger kids and I just think that's such a fun way to get kids to interact with books there are all types of books out there don't push the button that's a fun one. Or there's a monster in your book. You have to like try and shake the monster out of your book and turn the book upside down. Kids love that stuff. They really do. But that's what I mean when I say I, I created these interactive musical book ideas and they weren't out there. Interactive books were and musical books were, but there wasn't anything that married the two. And that's what I thought would be so fun. One of my bestsellers it's hard to see it behind me, right? Right there. It's called Rhythm Rescue. And it's a girl who is a superhero. And in order for her to have her powers activated, you have to clap the right rhythm. So there's two rhythms throughout. And the they happen to be the inverse of each other. <laughs> so that the kids have to actually pay attention to which rhythm is which. So she comes across an obstacle. You have to clap the right rhythm to help her activate her superpower and move the story forward. So that's another one that kids absolutely love because it's just fun. <laughs> oh, I love that. And so there is an element of actual gamification almost because you're mm -hmm. having to try and get things right and almost correct. And the challenge is making sure you do it in the right way, which I think is awesome. So these books, how do they work? Do you put on like the sound? through your computer or how does that work? Nope. They just like an adult or a kid will just read them. So they, it's a, it's pretty tricky because they have to be written in such a way that anybody could pick up the book and understand what's going on. But that was part of why I started writing them. I wanted even my students at home who don't have an adult to read to them for whatever the reason might be. I wanted them to have just as much access to music education and fun as any other kid in my class. And the 
positive to writing things that way is it really means that they're for anyone. I had special needs kids in my class who had an aide. The aide doesn't know anything about music education. That's not their fault. But now we have all these books. Awesome. They're learning along with the kid. And because it's something so fun, it's something they can do again and again, and they're picking up these skills. My everyday kids who were already good at music and already passionate about it, they thought it was fun and engaging and they loved it. Rhythm Rescue in particular has sparked in some music educators. They started asking their students to come up with their own superpowers and their own rhythms outside of the book. So kids would take the knowledge they knew outside the book. They'd make up a rhythm pattern and they'd make up whatever superpower they want. And I had a teacher email me and say that she had a boy who did not like music class, never liked music class. And he came up with the superpower to make dump trucks appear. Apparently, he really liked dump trucks for whatever reason. And she's it's the only time I've seen him smile in my class. She's like, I've had him for years, and it's the only time I had no problem getting him to participate. And it's the only time I've ever seen him smile in music class was because he was able to create a superpower about something he cared about and something that was exciting to him. And so that's what I aim to do with my writing. It's not a perfect world. There are plenty of people who don't like what I write. But when you do write, you're not writing for everybody. Not every book is meant for every person. There are tons of literary classics out there that people will rave about that are just not my cup of tea. (laughs) Or even big name movies, big name series books that I fully recognize other people love and I just don't. And so I think that's also important to realize when you're pursuing a passion is take people's feedback into account but sometimes they're just not your people. Oh, that's such great advice. And what a lovely way to end this particular episode. And as we all know, superpowers are very close to my heart. You can tell that from the podcast itself. So thank you so much. So Vicky, before we wrap up, I'd love to know how people can get in touch with you. If they want to know more, where can they find your books? And also, What are your plans going forward? Are you doing any other Disney movie books? So my books are available anywhere that you buy books. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones, anywhere you buy your books, you can find mine. Just ask for my name. Even at your local bookstore, if they don't have it in stock, they can order it for you. Same goes for your local library. If you're curious about my own works or want to join my email list, it's vickyweber.com. And if you want to write books yourself and need help doing, athomeauthor.com is my author coaching website. There's tons of YouTube videos, blog posts, free resources. You can even book a free consultation on the website as well. And as for my plans, I have another book releasing next month. I don't have any other Disney books in the works at this point, but if I do, don't worry, I will shout it to the heavens. I'm really hoping I get more opportunities to do some things like that. but. Yeah, I've got more books in the works. I've got the holidays coming up. And then in the new year, I've got even more books headed to headed to print. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So you're certainly going to be busy. And with your child as well, you mentioned you've recently become a mother as well. So. Yeah, I've got a one and a half year old at home and I'm currently pregnant again. So this baby has the same due date as my other baby. So I'm going to have a two-year-old in April and also a newborn. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. Um, impact year. <laughs> I don't know how you fit it all in. I can just about look after myself, never mind doing all of this other stuff as well. Vicky, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you. And I am going to look out for the Encanto book because I know my son will love it. He's, uh, yeah, Encanto is one of his favorite movies, I'm sure. He'll be definitely looking at that. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. There you have it, folks. It's the end of another insightful episode. And as always, thank you so much for sticking around to listen to this episode and for helping support me and encouraging me to create more content for you guys. If you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you'll find my email address in the show notes or equally head over to the website and click on the contact link. And I promise I will respond to every single message I receive. I'm always looking for your feedback. So if you'd like me to change things up or improve things, I would love your opinions. If there are topics that you would like us to do future episodes on, or there are other great speakers that you are aware of, then please do mention them and uh, we'll see if we can make it happen. Thank you once again. 